Amen. Friends, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Adam, and it's my joy to be the senior pastor here at First United Methodist in Kearney. I want to extend a special welcome to folks who typically worship at Westside. We got a few of those here? Okay. Uh, Westside, if, 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 if you don't know, is our second campus that normally meets at Dogwood Elementary, and we decided to let them wax the floors and give everybody a break, so uh, it's good to see everybody uh, here at 92. I also want to extend a special welcome to folks who will encounter this message online, whether on our website or on our brand new podcast. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to just have a little of me while you're showering or on your commute, it's, it's, it's all there for you. That's brand new. Uh, I didn't write that down, so we'll just, we're just going to keep going. Uh, uh, I am a proud alumnus of Cape Central High School in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And when I graduated in 2002, I don't mind you doing the math there, I was the last graduating class of that building. It was getting a little old. Uh, it, it was very, shall we say, charming, right? It lacked a few features. My high school didn't have air conditioning. You know, unthinkable, right? But it had a couple perks that came with it, including off-campus lunch. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be fun. Uh, so every, I mean, just what a concept, right? Like every day, me and my buddies would pile in a car, and it was a race against other rival students, and a race against time to hit a drive-through somewhere and be back in what was probably like 23 minutes or something silly like that. And interesting things happened at, at off-campus lunch. I have so many good memories uh, doing that with my buds. Most of my friends would tell you that some of their fondest memories are me spilling things on myself and that whole process. But every so often, kind of an interesting economic scenario would come up. We'd all pile in the car and be in the drive-through, and then somebody, usually the driver, would get stuck with the tax for the whole car. Right? Like we brought enough, but not enough for tax. Or, or other times, somebody may have forgotten some, some money or their parents didn't give them money or whatever, and, and they were in need of a small lunch loan. And it was almost like a godfather situation, right? Like, I will do you this favor, but someday I will expect repayment. And what, man, when somebody needed money, all of a sudden we got real good at listing off how often we drove or who owed us what from last time, right? Through off-campus lunch, I became real good at keeping score, at knowing who owed me what. Now, we do this not only financially, we do this socially, don't we? Has anybody ever had the experience of, of maybe you were really close with someone and, and they're going to get married and you were wondering when you were going to be asked to be a groomsman or a bridesmaid and, and you got passed over? Or, or a fairly recent phenomenon in our society is you find out your friends have all gotten together without you and the way you became aware of that was when you saw the pictures online. No one likes to feel slighted. When, when we feel like someone has wronged us, we tend to remember it, don't we? But maybe you've, maybe you've been in a bad relationship and, and you think to yourself, why would I ever make myself vulnerable to being hurt again? We usually have several excellent reasons to feel hurt and not forget it. In our scripture today, Jesus is gonna show us what kind of life we get when we focus on keeping score. 
This is the third week in our series, Have You Heard This One? And it's about the parables of Jesus, the, the amazing stories Jesus tells that make us rethink some things we think we might know. And I said uh, a few weeks ago that the parables are my favorite part of the Bible. I honestly would preach the stories of Jesus probably 40 weeks a year if you all would let me. Right, I got to pick my first series. This is what I picked. I love them. I love the parables. I don't love this one because it's really hard. This is a story that has haunted me for decades. And so what I hope we'll discover together this morning is that forgiveness is releasing your right to retribution. All of us are dealing with stuff. Now, I don't know what you came in here with today, but I'm guessing you got somebody you need to forgive. And like me, I'm guessing you're real good at keeping score. So what does Jesus have to say about that? That's exactly how this conversation starts off, this episode from Jesus' life. We're gonna be reading from Matthew 18. And one of Jesus' closest followers, his name's Peter, he asked Jesus what I feel is a pretty fair and straightforward question. Hey, how many times should I forgive somebody? I mean, what are we, what are we working with here? He's wanting to set some expectations. When I was in college, uh, my, I was always very keen on my professor's attendance policy. Right, like if I was allowed to miss class five times, guess how often I would miss? Five, usually. Right, like Peter's just wanting to level set a little bit here. All right, Jesus, when do they run out of chances? How many? Let's see what Jesus' response is. We're gonna start in verse 21 and 22 of Matthew chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Again, I think this is a fair question. And, and Peter's it, it try, trying to establish some expectations. What's the limit here? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Earlier in the chapter, there was some discussion earlier in Matthew 18 about uh, how to settle disputes. And the Jewish custom in the first century, what Peter and Jesus kind of would have been used to, was very similar to our rule, like this is a baseball town, right? When the Royals are doing well, right? <laughs> oh, oh, ooh. <laughs> it was kind of like a three strikes and you're out deal. And so when Peter says, hey, should I forgive my brother seven times? I think he's actually being pretty generous. He's doubling it up plus one more. That was the kind of the Jewish understanding is, is you give somebody three chances. So in response, Jesus tells a story that challenges our scoring system. When Jesus says 77 times, he of course doesn't mean that, he doesn't mean that finally on the 78th time, your friend's really blown it. No, he's, he's using hyperbole, right? This, this is something we do all the time. We use these expressions. Uh, this, is, this is a fairly new one for me. I don't know if you've ever been, like you've had someone who is uh, either embarrassed or laughing really hard, and they'll say something like, Oh my gosh, I literally died. <laughs> well, you, you, that's not what literally means. <laughs> we understand that these are expressions. This is hyperbole. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. How many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus' answer is essentially infinity. And then he launches into a story that is super annoying because it's super hard. 
So we read the parable of the unmerciful servant. We'll start in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So here we see an example of what we know to be true, that actions have consequences. Eventually the bill comes due. And this servant, having racked up this massive debt, knew the possibility of him being thrown in jail if he couldn't pay it. Now we read that, that line, uh, 10,000 talents. A talent was a, a unit of monetary measurement. And the, the, the uh, 10,000 talents would be like 10,000 bags of silver and gold. This would have been much, many times more than even a wealthy person could earn in one lifetime. Basically, there's no way this servant could ever repay what he owes this king. So the servant knew all this. He knew the rules, and he knew the debt would cost him dearly, and so he begs for mercy. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So when we read that the king canceled the debt, in Greek, that word is aphemi, and it can also be translated forgive. The king forgives the debt. So, so to forgive means to give up all claim on account of, or to remit, to release claim of. He is forgiving the giant debt the, ser- the servant owed to him. And so we see that forgiveness has a cost. Forgiveness has a cost. What's the cliche we we often associate with forgiveness? Forgive and forgive and forget. I I don't want to be harsh, but but I, I I don't think that's right. Forgive and forget. That cheapens the extremely high cost of forgiveness. Because of the king's mercy, he would absorb the servant's error. So in forgiving this servant, it cost him literally tons of money. See what I did with the literally? I'm just weaving it all in. I just thought of that just now. (laughs) It cost the king actual giant bags of gold to forgive the servant. So forgiveness comes at a cost. We don't forgive and forget what happened. We forgive in spite of what has happened. To forgive means to let go of debt. It means to release your right to retribution. In forgiving the debt at a high cost, the king let the servant go. He didn't make him pay the price. Forgiveness is releasing your right to retribution. Now, retribution might not be a word that I would use often like outside of a sermon or something, but, but retribution is, is to exact punishment. It's to enforce a penalty. When someone wrongs you, it's that desire for retribution, to pay them back, to make them suffer as they made you suffer. And so forgiveness is releasing that right. And it comes at a high cost. So the king released the servant by canceling his debt, by forgiving the debt and letting him go free. And it could have been a very happy ending to this, this parable right here. Like, God bless us, everyone, and all of that. <laughs> but that's not where it stops. 
Jesus continues, but when the servant went out, the one who was just forgiven, 10,000 talents, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Now, here's, this dude was just forgiven 10,000 talents, more than a lifetime's worth of wages, and he walks out the door, and there's someone who owes him 100 denarii. This would have been 100 days' wages. Basically, chump change compared to what he was just forgiven. When the unforgiving servant said to the king, be patient with me and I will pay back everything, the king took pity on him because it would have been impossible for the servant to pay the money back. But when that same servant is choking and screaming at his fellow servant who offers the same response, be patient with me and I will pay you back, it was feasible that this second guy could have probably paid back what he owed. But the servant who had received mercy, the servant who had been forgiven, was unwilling to do the same for a laughably small amount in comparison. Now, you ever notice that? That we tend to want mercy for us, but justice for others? A buddy of mine said one time when you're preaching, there's a lot more of this than there is of this, right? We tend to want mercy for us and justice for others. Jesus continues in verse 30. When the servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he paid back all that he owed. So by accepting the king's forgiveness, but refusing to grant any, the unmerciful servant paid a great price, didn't he? He traded in 100 denarii for, for a lifetime of, of prison. And the same happens to us in a very real sense when we refuse to forgive. We are tortured in a prison of anger and bitterness and we become entitled to our idea of justice when we hold on to that right of retribution, when we wanna see someone else get justice, it still comes at a huge cost to us. And meanwhile, we expect God to forgive our much greater debts. We need to be careful when we pray that line from the Lord's Prayer. I believe we said it earlier. Forgive us our sins or our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who sin or have debts or trespass against us. And this is what makes this parable so haunting. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I think part of what makes forgiveness so hard is that we blur the line between forgiveness and reconciliation. Reconciliation is much different than forgiveness. 
Reconciliation is the restoration of the relationship of two parties. It takes two people to reconcile. I think it's pretty hard to reconcile with somebody who doesn't think they did anything wrong. I mean, that that's, that's, should be the basic aspect of repairing a relationship, right? But, it, but if, if someone else has hurt you and they don't think they did anything wrong, basically, if given the chance, they would do it again, why would we sign up for that? Reconciliation is much different. It takes two people. But forgiveness isn't about the other person at all. It's about you. It means releasing your right to retribution, letting go of that desire to see that other person suffer as they've made you suffer. It's releasing the burden of keeping score and getting payback. It's releasing that to God. That's what it means to forgive. And it only takes one person. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean pretending nothing ever happened. Forgiveness doesn't mean that actions don't have consequences. And and I want to be real careful here. I want to be real sensitive. Because it's my guess that, that many of us have suffered great abuse from the people that should have loved or protected us. So I'm not trying to be trite with this. You heard me say, forgive and forget, forget that. And so if you are in a scenario where, where you are in an abusive situation, we can put you in touch with folks. We can support you. So don't hear me saying you should just gloss over it. That doesn't mean actions don't have consequences. But to forgive and forget cheapens the high cost that forgiveness actually comes at. Releasing that right of retribution. That's hard to do. 13 years ago, a dear friend of mine was killed in a car accident. His name was Tyler, and he and uh, another friend of mine were going from Columbia to Lambert Airport on I-70 really early in the morning. And a young man with chemicals in his bloodstream um, was going the wrong way on I-70, and he hit him head on, and my friend Tyler passed away. Later that year, I randomly was on the St. Louis Post-Dispatch website and I saw a headline uh, that a driver of a wrong way accident was being sentenced. And I thought, that's, that's, that's weird. And I clicked on it and it was the sentencing of this young man named Calvin that had been involved in my friend Tyler's death. <clears throat> my friend Tyler's dad, his name is Steve, and he had some quotes in the article wanted to share those with you today. Stephen Downey, choking back tears as he spoke, described his son as someone who volunteered in inner city neighborhoods and foreign countries and helped victims of Hurricane Katrina on various mission trips. Stephen Downey said he spoke for his son and other victims in court, and he also wanted to speak for Jesus Christ. That's what Steve said. As his representative, I want to forgive Calvin and tell him with Jesus in his life, he can make better decisions. I told myself when I read that, that anytime I had the chance, that I would honor Steve. That I would tell this story any chance I got. As Christians, our goal 
is, is to be like Jesus. There are a lot of times that seems out of reach. I'm just trying to be like Steve Downey. To be so full of God's love and faith that you had the capacity to forgive the person who killed your son, that, that you would not want to maximize their suffering. I don't know if I could do it. And friends, I know this is an intense story. Forgiveness is an intense subject. I imagine each of us have experienced hurt at the hands of other people. And so what I want to invite you to do, for no one else's sake but your own, is to release that right of retribution. All of your bitterness and resentment, all of your scorekeeping, it cannot heal you. Only God's love and mercy can do that. And everybody said, amen.